0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Happy New Year 2024. And today we're going to meet Morgan Lindsay from New Zealand, a climate risk and geospatial consultant. That sounds like a lot. Who is she? And um, what does she have to say to us in our difficult times? Stay tuned. You can now find us and comment to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what matters to you, what triggers your joy, what bothers you in the world. Let us know. We'll see where the Spirit leads us. wherever you are just now whether you're out for your evening constitutional where you're here in australia or back in the united states with friends or all by yourself with your headset on hey wherever you are thanks for joining us these 18 minutes of note the opinions are strictly my own and those of my guests This date in history, the 11th of January in 1755, Alexander Hamilton, the first secretary of the United States Treasury and star of Broadway, apparently, was born in the British West Indies. In 1878, milk was delivered for the first time in glass bottles in New York City. On this day in 1935, Amelia Earhart, one of the world's most celebrated aviators, Made the first successful solo flight from Hawaii to California, a distance longer than that from the U.S. mainland to Europe. And in 2008, New Zealand mountain climber and explorer Sir Edmund Hillary, who with the Tibetan mountaineer named Norgay, was the first to summit Mount Everest. He died in 2008 at the age of 88, and that's the historical marker of the week. Morgan Lindsay, you and your partner, along with my wife and me, had a great trip in Turkey a few months ago. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. And when we met, we had a great couple of days touring together. What was your number one takeaway from that part of your really significant international trip?
1: Hi, Bob. Um, thanks for having me. Um, oh, it's so hard to choose one thing. Um, but I think there's just such a rich history and culture in Turkey and I felt like you know where I live in New Zealand is such a young country and so to hear you know and go to sites that we went to that are you know BC um, and sort of second third century I'm just like I it's really hard for me to fathom sometimes because our country is so young um, so yeah I think just the the I learned so much while I was over there and just, yeah, loved immersing myself in the culture.
0: You were ever excited and full of good information about the geology of that ancient land. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got a geological degree somewhere in your education, don't you?
1: Yes, I do. Um, Yeah, and so does my partner, um, Hayden. So you would have heard a lot of conversations in the van of us just (laughs) being like, oh, look at those rocks. Oh, look at that formation. Just, yeah.
0: It was really fun to listen to you because I'm just looking at rocks. (laughs) And now we have, um, we have a uh, sculptures by the sea on here in Bandai now for a two, three weeks period every year. And one of them, I think is titled 23.5, which is a, a group of rocks. It really looked like the Cappadocia, mm. uh, the way the, the rocks are piled on each other. Mm-hmm. And it's 23.5, which is the angle of the axis of the earth as it travels around the sun.
1: There so you
0: pretty clever layout. Mm. Uh, I loved it. I I really enjoyed listening to you guys. You seem to know so much. Growing up in New Zealand, did you have a worldview that included anything beyond the Tasman Sea? That is, when did your geospatial views grow, if, if you remember?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because you'd think being so isolated down in New Zealand that we probably wouldn't go as far. But if I'm honest, I remember learning about all countries across the world from a really young age. So, because we have to import a lot of things as well, um, you learned where certain things came from, or yeah, you just, it wasn't isolated to New Zealand. We very much rely on our Pacific neighbors, um, including Australia. Uh, so, yeah, there was always a connection definitely to that sort of Southwest Pacific and then more so globally as I got older.
0: I grew up in Kansas and we were pretty regionally fixed. Mm. I mean, there are 11 states within 500 miles, but that's all we knew. And if you went on a trip, that's as far as you would go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, don't great. ask me about America's geography because I'm sure. So
0: an American about South Island.
1: <laughs> <laughs> True.
0: Morgan, your CV includes the terms climate risk and that you're being a, a geospatial consultant. Can mm. you translate those terms to us as laypeople?
1: Sure thing. I often, um, when I meet someone, I don't often say what my title is because because it's kind of some question marks and I usually just end up sort of explaining what I do. And I guess the climate risk side of it is looking at climate change and our risks posed from climate change. So it could be to the natural environment, it could be to sort of built infrastructure. We help with a lot of public and private entities in New Zealand and internationally to understand those risks. Um, it's not just climate change, it's other natural hazards as well. Um, obviously doing geology, it was earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, all that's inclusive. Um, and then where the geospatial component comes in is where I, I feel like I thrive because it's my creative side. Um, it's where I can do a lot of analysis as well. So Think Google Maps and how you put in your house and you're going to go to the surf club. When you when that map comes up and you get the directions and you get all that live feed, that's a part of what I can do using a software called GIS. So I can make maps, I can communicate sometimes complex things using images and figures. So that's, yeah, it's definitely a creative side. Um, to the job, which I love. Um, and it just means that we can find out some really interesting things using spatial data.
0: Do you think Magellan would have had as much fun if he had a cartographer with your software?
1: Yeah, I think he would have. <laughs> For sure, he would have got more places.
0: One more. You graduated <laughs> in New Zealand from a uni, received a master's degree in disaster risk mm. and resilience. What do those terms mean in ordinary, everyday life?
1: A great question. Um, it's very similar to sort of, I guess, what I explained in my job title. And the easiest way that I can explain it is I want to better integrate humans with the environment. So natural hazards would have happened with regardless of humans um, being on this earth but they become disasters when humans or assets are involved because there's a loss there. And so the risk and resilience is you understand the risk to then build resilience. So say you've got a river that's by your house, you may be exposed to flooding. And so a resilient measure that we could put in place is something sort of hard, like a stop bank to stop that water from flowing into your property, or it could be more of a communication or education piece to the community. That's like, when you receive this warning on the news, you need to evacuate to X point or you know, get yourselves prepared to evacuate. Um, so it's yeah, it's building resilience within a community so that your losses from natural disasters aren't as significant.
0: You're involved in helping governments to assess problems and engineering solutions. And mm-hmm. your company, Tomkin and Taylor, has been involved in such for over five decades. Mm -hmm. Do you ever dream about moving on, starting your own company, or doing something completely different?
1: It's funny. I hadn't really thought about this at all. If you'd asked me before I came into this career, I would have said that I would have been a musical theater performer or a dancer because I had danced for 18 years of my life. Um, What
0: kind of dance?
1: Yeah, so I
0: what kind of dance.
1: I did jazz, ballet, tap, musical theater, contemporary. Yeah, <laughs> so I would have taken that path, but I guess now at the age that I'm at, I and because I didn't take that uh, career path, um, I can't dance professionally, um, but I I do really enjoy the work I do. I think if I was to ever change, it would maybe be from working for a private consultancy to potentially a public entity um, or like an NGO or something like that doing disaster relief. So I think it would still be in that sort of disaster space, maybe in communication to try and help the community better understand their risks. Um, but yeah, not too different.
0: One of, one of the ladies on our tour, Deborah Fuller mm. was with her husband and her two Adult sons, and I've had her on the podcast recently. She was involved in translating virus and vaccine and all that for Bloomberg and other television outlets. Who would call her and try to get their Mm -hmm. head try to get their head around the facts and information that was happening during COVID. And my guess is communications is huge if mm-hmm. you're trying to deal with relief and mechanisms of of all kinds of relief i'm thinking about israel you and i and everybody on the planet is glued to the television just now mm-hmm. trying to figure out who's going to do what and how many hostages might ever be released and will hamas actually go away and everybody talks about getting on the front edge of communication get the get the narrative let you, you define the narrative, you speak the narrative. So I'm guessing in disaster relief that that's gonna be significant as well.
1: Completely, and and it's the trust of whoever's communicating that information to you. So a lot of the studies that have been done is that there needs to be trust of the communi- community of whether it's the council or the emergency management office, whoever's sort of sounding the alert or you know portraying that information, there needs to be a sense of trust, otherwise people might not listen. And so that's uh, some trouble that we can come into. If, if their trust isn't built, then people are less willing to go. And I guess there's that human side of it, right? That people have their own risk tolerance or you know what they're willing to accept and what they're not. And so humans are just so complex and you never really know what they're going to do in that situation. Um, so it is a tricky one.
0: Besides work, what gives you great joy these days? Do you have a hobby?
1: I do. I love, I love playing a lot of sport and I still love dancing. So when I can get to an open class or something like that at one of our local studios, I'll go down and do that. Um, but I also love netball. So I play netball, um, for a Tauranga, as team here in Tauranga where I live. Um, I love sewing. I love swimming in the beach. Um, I have beautiful nieces and nephews and so I love just hanging out with them and watching them grow.
0: You and Hayden are from different islands (laughs) in New Zealand. Does that ever cause domestic strife? (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) especially when it comes to sport. So the big one is with rugby. So he supports the Chiefs, which is where where he grew up. And I support the Crusaders, which is where I grew up. And Just between you and I, um, and everyone knows it, is the Crusaders are the best. We've won like the last seven years and Hayden's not happy about it.
0: (laughs) Now we've mentioned that the world is a mess just now with news in the Middle East filling our news feeds relentlessly. Do you personally have hope for a peaceful resolution there? And if so, how would that happen?
1: I really do and my heart goes out to just all those that are impacted like it's it's actually truly devastating and it it really does break my heart that the world can't be at peace and I know that sounds probably really naive of me to say but I'm just I'm one of those people that I just I wish there was peace and but you're always going to get those extremes um you know different different viewpoints and unfortunately in this circumstance they've gone for violence um and it just I wish it wasn't the answer but this is where our back to humans are so complicated and you just don't know what someone is thinking or yeah whether they're going to see that there is a better solution um I really I really do hope that there is a less devastating well I mean there's definitely a less devastating option they could take and it's just whether or not they're going to do that and realize that the loss of you know significant innocent lives is is not the answer um
0: I have a friend who says the only hope for peace was born in the Middle East wow talking about Jesus which I think is pretty cool yeah Uh,
1: I, I still have hope that you know something can something good can come from it hopefully
0: I'll agree with you. And that's mm. hope around the world.
1: Just really, thank you. But A, we were so stoked that we met you and your wife on our trip in Turkey. It's so cool just hearing, you know, other people's stories, even those that we were, were traveling with for that week. Um, I think keep keep spreading the good word and keep doing what you're doing, Bob, because it's so cool to see all these different connections that you make across the world and you're just bringing people together
0: thanks morgan lindsay appreciate your time all the best to you in 2024 what do you think about all this why don't you write me bob mendo at aol.com or comment on an instagram or TikTok to me i'd love to know what you're thinking Every week we read from the number one bestseller of all time, the Bible, and this is no different. This from Psalm 18. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I hope you'll join me next week, Tuesday, on our regular launch day. As we get back to, well, we should say regular, on the 16th of January, with the next episode. Until then, when things seem bleak or uncertain, look up to God. He's in his heaven, and Bob's your uncle. Shalom from Sydney.